Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth. It's a weekday, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the Old Testament. In the book of First Kings, we are at chapter 14. If you would like to read along with me, I'm going to begin with verse 1. Just hold it a moment. Thank you. Verse 1. At that time, Abiah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. So, um... People were talking about our, well, at this point, our the nations are the, the king, the tribes are divided up. They're not like the United States. They're like the United States when the South seceded from the North, from the rest of the country. And um, so they're at this point, they're divided. Ten houses and two houses um, of the, all the tribes are divided into those two kingdoms. So um, talking about one of those kingdoms now. Verse 2, and Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. So um, he's sending his wife to what you think of as an ancient soothsayer or a fortune teller. Uh, a spiritist, a medium, someone in, along those lines, generally thought of as a prophet, someone who's able to tap into the supernatural, into the divine. And so he's reflecting back on the fact that he got that message when he ran into the prophet Ahijah and he uh, tore his clothes and gave, gave him 10 pieces of his clothing and said he'd uh, be the king over those 10 tribes. And those other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, are going to be a separate kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, Judah, excuse me, um, and the area known as Judea in general, but um, it's still the same tribe, just they've had a division among themselves into two at this point in the narrative. Um, verse three, also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will become of your child. So, um, again, Ahijah is the one who has the prophet powers, basically. And so he's taking with him a token, some um, in modern day, it'd be like money. Um, but they would take different things, just like in the religion of the Old Testament, the same religion Jesus was born into, calls for different animals to be taken to the holy folks, the people who are in touch with God, so to speak. Um, and usually in some, it would be in some cases, um, payment for your sins that the animals have to pay for your sins and animal sacrifice are what are required, all sorts of different animals. And we read about that on our other daily readings. If you want to look back on them, um, let's see, verse three also take with you, it, he's saying, basically telling them to take that gift. And find out what's going to happen with the baby. What's the outcome, the future look like for that child. Verse 40, verse 4. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. So it sounds like Ahijah the prophet has gone literally blind in his physical eyes but he can still apparently see spiritually and give people what it is they're looking for. People have their 
um, vision in their eyes. Um, that'd be an interestingly terrible, terrible burden, I would think, to have to carry something like that. Um, the loss of vision alone, but then seeing um, visions of what's going to happen in the future for other people. Um, at any rate, that's what Ahijah's power seems to be. Um, and she's being sent for some reason in a disguise to go see him. Why, I'm not sure. Verse 5. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam. Come and ask you something about her son, for he's sick. Thus and thus you should say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. So now in this narrative, Ahijah the prophet, who's physically blind, is getting messages according to uh, the narrative, narrative, the narrator along this way, since no one's named First King that I know of. Um, it's just the name of the book, but it doesn't identify who's actually scribing it and passing along the story. So whatever the case may be, the witness is saying that um, um, the, the, the blind man in plain English is getting a message from God directly about who it is who's there to visit him. So um, if he, the, the message he's getting is true, if he's literally blind uh, in his natural eyes, um, but he the person the message he's getting is true, then the powers he the voice he's hearing the messenger has to be from somewhere supernatural, somewhere divine, and according to the narrator, it's God, the Lord, excuse me, who's delivering the messages directly to him uh, and basically being his eyes and seeing for him. And Lord here in English, the word Lord is translated from the Hebrew word, Hebrew word Jehovah, just so you understand who is being um, identified as the, as the Lord in that verse. Verse 6, and so it was, when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I've been sent to, to you with bad news. So he blew her high. She went, showed up in disguise like her husband told her to, to go find out what's going to happen with her baby. So she's gone to the seer. You know, he's blind. He has the power to see because apparently the voices he gets are true and from the Almighty or at least from someplace benevolent. He's identifying it as the Lord. Um, and it was true. She was able to disguise for a man who's already known to be blind, apparently. And yet he still was able to identify her as soon as she showed up in her disguise. And he tells her he's got bad news. Verse 7, go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among, from, from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel. So now the wife is getting sent with bad news back to her husband, the king, who, like I was saying earlier, was gifted from God, according to the narrative, with kingship, rulership over the majority of the tribes and the people, over 10 of them. What has he done wrong? What's he getting called out for? Let's see. Verse 8. And tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet, and yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart. 
to do only what was right in my eyes. So, um, that's uh, an interesting statement because David didn't do only what was right in God's eyes. We saw where he uh, arranged for a hit on someone and had him killed and um, had already taken the man's wife and slept with that same man who he then had killed and had a kid and a family with the woman after that. Um, so interesting retake of the history of what David did what was right in God's eyes uh, in verse 8. Um, but apparently Jeroboam isn't even meeting that bar. Um, something he's doing things even worse than if you're if you're gonna judge the behavior than what David did with all of the things he just named off. Verse nine, but you have done more evil than all who were before you, who were before you, for you've gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. So. This is the jealous side of God showing up. Uh, not everyone has one. I have a fiercely jealous side, so I can totally understand why that would tick off the one who you say you love and are following and obeying. Um, and then you do other things contrary to that. So I can see how that would tick someone off. It's kind of why I'm single now. <laughs> I may not have the stress of it. Verse 10, therefore behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, born, bond, and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam. That's why it takes away refuse until it is all gone. So the voice that he's getting, the message he's getting from the man who can't see, but his eyes are wide open, the seer, is that he's about to um, fall. His whole household is. And it's because he's been idolatrous and worshiping other entities, other gods. And we have to, I guess that does remind me of the cows that he erected for the people to worship. They, for some reason, set up golden cows in the previous chapters we were reading. And the people would now worship that, those, excuse me, instead. And there, were, there, were a, there was a cow in the north and a cow in the south. So if the one in the north or in the south are too far, if the one in the north is too far for you, you can go to the one in the south. Think of it as a church, a temple, a place to go and worship. Um, and when you get there, there's a cow, a golden cow. And then you're told to believe that that's who delivered you from enslavement when, you, when your family, your ancestors were in Africa. Uh, serving as slaves in Egypt before they were emancipated. Um, and the cows led you to freedom. So that's the same cows that were set up there uh, by Jeroboam. So I guess that would be like a slap in the face if you're the one who awarded him with the authority over those different kingdoms and he's enjoyed flexing that authority. So let's see how bad it is for him. Verse 11, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field for the Lord has spoken. So the message is complete for her to take back to her old man. It's that his time is up. His house is going to crumble and he's going to end up as dog food and bird food when 
about a time the Lord has done with them for his unfaithfulness. Verse 12, Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Wow, so she's been given really bad news. Uh, he's not an obstetrician or a gynecologist. Excuse me. He is a visually impaired man who gets messages, apparently, directly from God, according to his form of worship. And the worst, the messages are future, um, messages about her future, about the future for him to deliver to her. And it's not good in that she's going to lose her baby as soon as she gets back to her hometown. Verse 13, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. And let me, excuse me, let me go back. Um, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel and house of Jeroboam. So while the, she's been, the message is not quite done, the last part of the message that she's going to lose the baby she's carrying, and the baby is the only one that's basically going to find grace and salvation and who's going to go to the grave. Um, and, um, and that's because the Lord saw something good in the unborn child that's not seen in the rest of them. So they aren't going to um, make... Uh, uh, don't mourn for them, I guess. Um, and I guess they aren't even going to be buried, is what the prophecy is saying. Um, but the only, the unborn child that dies will. Verse 14, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. So the bad news goes on and on that he's delivering to uh, the wife of the king that um, her baby's not going to make it. Her husband and his his family, his title, are all going to be gone. Verse 15, For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land, which he gave to their fathers, and will scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord's anger. So, um, um, the river that's being referred to here is the Euphrates, meaning they're going to um, be dispersed just as there's an African diaspora um, around the world. Uh, there's uh, also a diaspora from the time when the um, people are taken captive in the Bible, even historically backed up. Um, I mean, backed up by historical documents. Um, and so they, they're getting a prediction, and it's... Um, really, really bad. That judgment is basically going to fall on the entire kingdom, um, those ten tribes. Verse 16, and I guess it's because of the idolatry. The cows must have been, the people were faithful to worshiping at those, um, where those cows were, those golden calves. Just as they're faithful to these televangelists now, to the point that they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, have multiple properties, multiple, multiple vehicles, and spend very, very little time on anything Jesus ever actually says, and yet have huge followings, letting us know uh, a lot of people are blind to the fact, how could it be Christianity if 
Christ isn't taught there. It makes no sense. And putting anyone else on Christ's level makes no sense either. If you're a Christian, Paul didn't die for your sins. Moses didn't die for your sins. If you're a Christian, the only one we know of, we believe that died for our sins and resurrected. Part of the article of faith, which is an article of faith for us. But in reality, people die and come back to life many, many times. There, It's mimicked through medicine. Uh, through um, actual miracles too sometimes. It just happens sometimes, unexplained sometimes, but it does happen. Um, Jesus is just the most famous example. Uh, God willing won't be the last. Uh, but um, so at verse 16, and he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. So the price that he's going to have to pay is a payment that the whole community is going to have to pay for the idolatry, worshiping other gods. But it's obvious and clear now there were multiple gods being worshipped throughout the Bible, not just Christ, not not just Christianity, Christ, so this red letter kind like we read here, but obviously other things that say they're Christian that aren't. Um, and they're all in the Bible. Um, so um, it's a choice. It's a smorgasbord. The Bible is of things to believe, articles of faith. Um, but I think the truth extends way beyond what's in the Bible. Uh, the Bible are, is just a seed, to, I believe, to where the truth is, but that's just my belief. Verse 17, then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tizra. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. So just like that in her Without even sure she wouldn't want to, although sometimes women do want to terminate their pregnancies. Maybe she took the trip so that she could go ahead and induce the baby. Or most likely, she didn't believe the prophecy. Or she's a woman and she's bound to want to do whatever her husband tells her to do. Whatever the case may be, trying inten intentionally or not. When she got back to the city, the prophecy that the man who can't, who's blind, who's visually impaired, gave her came true her child died how it died unclear did she have like a spontaneous abortion uh, miscarriage something i don't know it doesn't say but the child was gone verse 18 and they buried him and all israel mourned for him according to the word of the lord which he spoke through his servant ahijah the prophet so um the narrator here is letting us know the prophet's message has come begun to come true the baby's been lost as soon as she got back to the city. Verse 19, now the rest of the act of, acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. So um, the narrator here is moving us along and letting us know um, that Jeroboam's um, uh, actions are documented in the book, documented also in the book known as Kings, um, I'm sorry, is it the kings? Uh, yeah, kings of Israel, but that's what we're reading now. First and second kings are the books' names, but there's also chronicles, first and second chronicles. I think some of the act, the act, the activities in that in the books overlap, if I remember right. But it's been a long time. I'm rediscovering it along with you. Um, verse twenty. Uh, the period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. 
So moving right along, uh, Robin is gone, and his son Nadab is now ruler over the people, um, Israel, but not Judah. Remember, um, the um, those two tribes are being ruled as a different kingdom. Let's see. Um, verse, the page keeps jumping, sorry. Verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitis. So, um, Rehoboam is one of Solomon's children by a foreign woman from Ammonite. They have different gods in that religion. We've read about them already. Um, but that's who's sitting on the throne now as the descendant of Solomon. So, uh, even though the kingdoms of Israel were torn away and given to uh, Rehoboam to rule, the two kingdoms have uh, have fall, are in the hands of descendants of King David and King Solomon, and the many different wives that he had, children from there. They're taking over the throne one by one, apparently. Let's see. Now, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed. None uh, uh, more than all the all their fathers had done. So um, it seems the descendants also of King David and Solomon are um, fully enjoying idolatry, worshiping other gods, having other religions. They're not faithful to one religion. Excuse me. But as we've gone through the Bible from Genesis to this point, where that people was there were many different entities to worship. Everybody hasn't been faithful faithful to one specific entity. And we've seen before even the religion, um, the, re, the religious um, doctrine of the religion Jesus was born into, the Jewish uh, part of the Bible in the Old Testament. It um, it wasn't the first we saw where people were doing things that as easily most easily described as witchcraft or where they were still having interactions with God even according to the narratives face to faces with God and messages directly from God by um, doing things like making animal sacrifices again way before we got all the uh, ordinances and statutes laid out after in the Moses era it was before even then so there's lots of different um, entities that are being called God throughout the Bible. Um, so in verse 20, um, verse 22, Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sin, with sins which they committed more than all their fathers had done. So we read that one. Verse 23, For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. So um, they call them high places, but it'd be just about, it sounds like shrines or churches, temples, mosques. It's that's what it's a place up high that you can go up yonder and give um, in their efforts, get closer to God. But um, 
it seems, according to the narrator, the only God that the is that they're um, the gods they're seeking are, are not the God that's sought after uh, in this um, part of the Bible. The one called Jehovah, because that's the Lord is being is being translated back to at this point in the story is not pleased because that's not who they're building the high places for worship um, in in the area of the other two kingdoms either in the area of um, Benjamin and Judah. So it's almost as if it's idolatry and uh, other religions among all the tribes at this point in the Bible. Not among everyone individually, but among large tribes in general. In general, they have lots of different entities they worship as their lords. Um, let's see, verse 24. And there were also perverted persons in the land. <laughs> they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So, um, when it says perverted persons, oh, interesting. So oh, when it says perverted persons in English, the translation of that word, and you can look this up for yourself if you want to. I'm reading in the free resource called the Blue Letter, blueletterbible.org. If you want to look it up yourself, it gives you the translation for these different words. And in this case, the word perverted persons translates into, and here's the message. In Hebrew, the word is Kadesh. That is one practicing sodomy and prostitution in religious rituals. So the the interesting part of that to me, obviously the part about what, he, what we just read, they're uh, having sex during their religious ritual um, at some kind of church, um, is the word itself is Kadesh. The single, singular word for that, a single person doing that, engaging in that, is Kadesh. But plural, the word is the same name as it's used in uh, in America anyway, uh, as Kadesha. It translates to, the plural is Kadesha, and the singular is Kadesh. But um, I, it, that's so interesting. They're being called perverted persons in English, um, but apparently they were do a part of to the church, not really a church because it wasn't Christian at that point, but a part of the religious ceremony that people would hire um, prostitutes and have anal sex there in the church, in the temple, in the place of worship. That's part of their religious ceremony. Interesting. Um, I don't know how I'm going to come up with a title for this reading, man. Okay, so... Um, is that a bad thing that they were doing that? Or is that accepted as worship? Let's see. Uh, it looks like no. That's part of the reason they're being clowns. Let's see, verse 25. But, I mean, I guess I can see why they'd be doing that because when we've read about uh, prostitution and previously to here, to this point, we've seen where they, uh, different prostitutes and prostitution were common events, even among the forefathers, one of them, uh, paid a prostitute to have sex with her and didn't even realize it was his own daughter-in-law in one of the stories we read of the forefathers. In uh, another one, it was a prostitute who was a hero that had a threesome with two soldiers. And she turned out to be a hero and helped with a red cord in her window, Rahab. And she turned out to be, she's in Jesus' genealogy, a 
according to what's in the New Testament. So interesting customs that the people had back then. But again, it's not. I'm not clear. It's not real clear why it's an, an event. And that in this instance, I guess because they're using it as part of their worship ceremony. It's okay if you're a prostitute, but to use it as part of the worship ceremony, then it's a no-no. And the same thing with the anal sex, the sodomy. Because I guess sodomy isn't strictly anal sex, but that's generally when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah and sodomy. That's what usually comes to mind. Interesting that those two are things that are happening in the church. Verse 25, it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. So they've been given bad news, um, pretty much the whole area, and now they've got enemies invading them. One of the interesting at this point is um, from Egypt, and his name is Shishak. Verse 26, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He, has to, he also took away all the gods, I'm sorry, gold shields which Solomon had made. Wow, so he really looted the place. Took all of those gold shields. I think there were like 300 of them, if I remember right. Um, so his enemies are invading the land, but it doesn't look like he's able to stop them. Verse 25, then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. So he figures, whatever, take the gold. He still got bronze and had bronze shields created instead. Not as rich and fabulous as the golden ones, but, you know, he did what he could. Verse 28, and whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them. Then they brought them back into the guard room. So they're not all... Um, careless with the gold anymore since it had been looted of it. Now they're using bronze. Imagine if your gold necklace was suddenly was, was bronze. That'd be like your uh, you've, it's made out of pennies now. Excuse me. But it is all he got. So he's holding on to it. So they wear it when they're out and use the shields. But then they take them back and guard them when they um, clock off duty. They've been humbled. Verse 28. And whenever the king entered the house. Oh, um, let's go back. Verse 29. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So again, I think that's what it's referring to. Where it's first and second kings and there's first and second chronicles. Uh, is what they're called in the Bible. That's what has been inflicted on them. So some of the events probably will overlap when reading God willing to get to that, those few things. Verse 30, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So not only are they all, it seems, uh, or at least idol worship seems to be rampant among all of them. They're also not at ease with each other. They're war and warring and divided. Verse 31, so Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with their with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitis. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. So rather than the kingdom going to one of Rehoboam's brothers, who are also descendants of King David, instead it's gone to Rehoboam's son. 
and passed down that way among the descendants of King David and King Solomon. Now that Rehoboam has passed away. That was the last verse in this reading. So that's where we'll end this reading, in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing and enlightening for you. I know I read some interesting things here. Um, I appreciate you joining me for it. And God willing, see you next time. Love you. Thanks again. Peace to you. Thank you.